0: Welcome to Recruitment and Careers Club. And we're talking about today the top 20 major reasons for failure. I'm Johnny Nash. For those of you who don't know me, I am ranked in the top 1% of global headhunters across UK and international markets within the world of tech, fintech, and digital, and have placed over 3,000 candidates to date globally, as well as being a business founder and proud founder of the Recruitment and Careers Club, where we're trying to create a community of, instead of being in the 85% of people who are unhappy in their jobs, you're in the top 15%. So we've got a newsletter out, on LinkedIn, where we've had over, well, coming up to 10,000 subscribers in five weeks. We've got the biggest club on Clubhouse and Social Audio when it comes to all things recruitment and careers. We're on a mission to end career misery. So we're talking about 20 major reasons why people fail. So first and foremost, there's two important lessons that we can learn when it comes for failure. And the first is that we are doing something completely wrong, which makes sense, right? And the second lesson teaches us that we can always overcome failure. And it mostly teaches us that we must rise back and continue to chase our dreams. Is what I call the bouncy bump. It's all well and good when everything's going well. It's great, isn't it? It's really awesome when everything's going well and everything's going to plan and everything you touch turns to, as the song, gold. But life doesn't work like that. It's obviously it's lots of ebbs and flows and ups and downs and speed bumps along the way. So if you have that bouncy bum, which I described, that, res- that ability to rise back up and still, still continue to chase your dreams, then you don't allow failure to stop and kill those dreams. Because I always come up with this quote, you know, fear kills more dreams than failure ever could. You know, fear kills more dreams than failure ever could. So the lessons we learn from failure is that it can leave us on the ground without understanding what's actually happened. And the top 20 main reasons why people fail. Firstly, number one, sometimes what you're born with, in terms of animal genetics, this basically means that someone is perhaps not as naturally intelligent. So we know with levels of IQ, a lot of which is inherited according to studies. And sometimes people are born short or maybe not so good looking all of which will put you at a certain disadvantage, especially in the kind of day and age we're living in present. And most US presidents, for example, have been over six foot. So what a person lacks in natural talents, natural gifts that are given by pure luck, you know, it's a one in 400 trillion chance of us actually existing at all. Just think about that, a one in 400 trillion chance. So even if certain people have got more naturally gifted traits that have been given to them, We can make up for it. We can make up for it in trying to maximize on the qualities that we do have and look to outwork people who have those natural gifts by showing a greater desire to achieve, not allowing our circumstances to define us. You can also improve even on things like appearance with things like through cosmetic procedures. And it's important as well. What you can do is outwork, outwork through absolute desire those people are naturally gifted. I wasn't always the most naturally gifted in class when I was at school, but I outworked anybody um, because of my desire, my desire to, to, to overcome. So it's really, really important. What you do lack in certain natural talents, you can overcome. You can even see it in the world of sport. There's a famous tennis player called Nick Kyrgios. Unbelievable talent, great attributes, gifted, You know, great right height for tennis, right build for tennis, everything. But he hasn't got that work ethic, that desire, that ability to look failure right in the face and give it a punch in the face and say, no, I'm going to take failure on. And even if I fail, I will make sure that I'll achieve my dreams and winning Grand Slam. No, he doesn't. What he will try to do instead is hide behind fins and say, oh, you know, if I worked harder, I would have won a grand slam. If I did this, I would have done that. It's easy to say those kind of things because he falls back on his talents. And sometimes the people that are most gifted in talent don't always achieve what they need to achieve. Whereas those who don't have quite the talent, they'll try to get every bit of what they've got and maximize it. And they make sure in terms of also work ethic. So number one, If you don't have natural gifts and talents, you can make it up in terms of work ethic and uh, overcoming. Number two, the second main reason of why people fail in life, they lack a clear sense of purpose uh, in their life. So you won't be successful if you don't have a goal that you're setting out to achieve, a purpose for which you're trying to, to, to feel. And that's really important, right? Because if you have no target or no direction of travel, in terms of life per se, then you won't succeed. And therefore, it'll be unclear to you in terms of what your purpose is, what your mission is. And in this day and age, even when it comes to hiring, people are looking more and more for missionaries rather than mercenaries. So it's really important what your that sense of the direction of travel. So a lot of people who fail don't have a clear sense of purpose in life. I often ask candidates, what do you want? And those candidates either go at quiet on me in terms of like hesitation or just don't know. So the simple, basic question, ask yourselves, now, what do I want? What do I want out of life? What do I want since the pandemic? Have my goals changed? Has my sense of direction of travel changed? Has my focus on what's important in life changed? Because we're constantly having to adapt and show flexibility within our goals. There's no point having goals rigidly set in stone. You have to have adaptability and flexibility with goal setting, with the circumstances you're in and what life froze at you. So a lack of clear sense of purpose in life really holds you back and leads to failure. Factor number three, a lack of ambition, a lack of ambition to re- reach beyond the average Joe. So individuals may lack the ambition to rise above mediocrity for a number of reasons. And this could be as a result of laziness, comfort, spoiltness, or lack of belief in success. And that, if you break it down, if people are too comfortable in being comfortable, then they won't push themselves. It leads to stagnation. You have to get used to being uncomfortable. And people don't like it because it can increase anxiety. It can make you feel very, very nervous. It can make your palms sweaty. And you feel, I don't like this feeling. I want to go back to cozy zone. I won't go back to comfort zone, but that won't lead to self-development, right? And in order to be ambitious and in order to show ambition, you need to keep pushing yourself. And when you keep pushing yourself, you're moving out of one comfort zone to another comfort zone because you're going up levels. You're going up different levels. And the the people that I've worked with over the years, and I've worked with some of the most successful entrepreneurs, some of the most successful unicorns and multinationals out there, and the CEOs and those who really rise to the top are those that are constantly pushing the boundaries and going outside of their comfort zone. And they show ambition. They show ambition rather than just being distinctly average. People don't remember average, right? They don't. They don't remember vanilla. The other times is when people are spoiled. So sometimes people will come into this uh, world or in the world of work or careers or business, and they come from a place where they have a lot of riches. Into, they might be wealthy, their parents have given them everything, but they don't then have the ambition and drive to go on. They're just spoiled in what they've been given and they don't have that hunger. And that spoilness can really, really hold them back, highlighting the fact that if you're too spoiled, you won't really push the boundaries. The next aspect is a lack of belief in success. So a lot of people, when I think about why are they successful, why is a tennis player? Why is a certain business person? Why is a entertainer or a model? Why, what made them successful? You know, what, what made them different to other people who had similar attributes, similar skills, if not more talented. And that's the, the fact that they had a great sense of belief and those who don't succeed and fail have a lack of belief. They have a lack of belief in success. You know, those who stretch themselves and have tremendous reservoirs of self-belief are, they hit pinnacles, they reach the top. And it's those people that lack self-belief. And self-belief is one of the critical pinners of being successful. And if you have a lack of belief, it really will hold you back and will cause failure. So factor number four, lack of self-discipline right? Discipline is essential for success. So you just need to think about that. So when you exert self-control over you, well, yourself, is one of the central requirements for success in any aspect. Self-discipline and self-control is vital to success. So you're, you're more likely, right, to give up too quickly when problems arise. Similarly, a lack of discipline makes you more likely to give in to short-term temptations that lead you to absolute nowhere. Sitting at home, watching Netflix or scrolling on social media all day long will not get you success, okay? gain uh, other temptations of going out, you know, we all need to cool off and enjoy ourselves and let our hair down. But if you're constantly just, all you're consumed about is just enjoying yourself and you, you, you know, you go out on a hard night's out, drinking a lot, and you've given into a lot of temptations and you show no sense of self control or discipline, then you're going to be going to a road to nowhere. So if you're undisciplined, you see no reason in making sacrifices today in order to prosper tomorrow, right? And anyone who's been successful makes sacrifices. People think about what someone has succeeded in in terms of the end result. They don't know all the hard work that's gone on behind the scenes, all the sacrifices that they've had to give, all the weekends that they've had to give up, all the late nights, all the early mornings, or maybe even missing aspects of their children's up early years because they're trying to get create a bigger life uh, uh, for them and their family. And people just focus on the end aspect of, oh, look at what they've got. Look at the house. Look at the car. Look at this. Look at that. But they don't actually see the sacrifices. And that requires self-discipline right? That requires self-discipline in order to make those sacrifices and self-control. And some people don't have it because they're given too much to temptations and distractions. So in fact, if you see those temptations and distractions as what they truly are, obstacles on the road to success, then you will avoid going down the rabbit hole of failure. Factor number five, and that is a lack of tenacity. A lack of tenacity can be blamed to why people don't succeed in life and end up failing. So you can be talented, you can be intelligent, but if you don't combine these two with persistence, you'll eventually fail. A lack of persistence is one of the biggest obstacles to success. Despite people having incredible talent, so many talented and gifted individuals fail because they place too much reliance on their abilities. They won't persist until they've mastered what they're doing. They quit when things get tough, right? I've seen this too often. Tenacity is such a core ingredient of success. And the lack of is a core ingredient of failure. And a lot of people give up too easily. They don't have enough resilience. They rely too much on their abilities and they won't persist through when Wins are difficult, when they constantly get rejected, when they get objections, when it's not going their way, they constantly are looking at it and think, oh, you know what, It's it's too tough, it's too difficult. And when the going gets tough, they quit. So those who really succeed, when the going gets tough, they get tougher. The tough gets going. So if you can find ways to stop giving up too quickly, if you can think of a lack of persistence actually causing your failures, then you are on the right roads to actually solving that problem. Because while it's true that persisting in a dead end will not bring you any closer to your goal. So you don't want to persist where you're hitting your head against a brick wall for the sake of, I'm persisting, I'm being, you know, I've listened to Johnny Nash. I've listened to other people talking about tenacity and I'm being tenacious, but yeah, there's tenacious in the right way. There's not being tenacious and whacking your head against a brick wall, because that's not going to get you anywhere. You don't want to go to dead end things in in getting close because that won't bring you any closer to your goal. You've got to be persistent in the right ways and in the right avenues. So you need to make sure that persistence is all about finding new approaches and making adjustments. So don't just give up when difficulties arise because they will arise. I guarantee you difficulties will arise because that's sod's law. That's life. There's always a problem. There's always an issue and there's always a difficulty. So how are you going to react? You're going to give up. You're going to say, oh, I'm not going to go through it anymore. I give up. It's too difficult. I'm not going to persist enough. I'm not going to show that tenacity. If you do that, that leads to failure. When those difficulties arise, you've got to think, no. No, I'm going to persist because I know this is going to lead me to something that, that's good. That's going to take me to the next level. So you've got to keep fighting because no one's going to give you your, your dreams. No one's going to put your dreams on a plate to you. Nobody. That's not how life works. Life is bloody competitive. There's someone out there that wants your spouse. There's someone out there that wants your house. There's someone out there that wants your car, that wants your job. Right? So you're not going to say, oh, Junior, I feel so sorry for you. You know, I like you so much. I'm going to give you uh, your dream. I'm going to hand it on a silver plate. It doesn't work like that. So you've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep fighting for your dreams, even if it's uncomfortable. And just because you feel like you're in a rut doesn't mean that you have no other options, We can all hit ruts. I've hit many in my time but you've got to think and focus about your dreams. Why are you doing this all for? Is it because you want to give your family a better life? Is it because you have this dream of having this house that you've always set your, your mind and heart to? I came from nothing. I came from the Iran-Iraq war, came to the UK, had an eye defect, couldn't speak a word of English, but I still had the dream. And I kept fighting for my dream. Even when my dad lost the family home, even when my mum had a stroke of 15, I kept fighting for my dream to be successful. I didn't want to end up where my dad and mum ended up. I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole of us having nothing, of always being the paupers in all of our family. I was going to fight. I was going to go out there and fight for my dreams. And then when it came to my personal life, and we couldn't have kids in the conventional way, and we had to do IVF. I had the choice. I had the choice to give up and think, "Well, no, children's got not meant for us because we can't have kids in a conventional way, or no, I'm going to fight for my dream of having a family. Even when we had the miscarriage, you know, when my, when uh, three months in, we lost our, our boy through a miscarriage, you know, we could have given up, given up of having a family, but we didn't, we kept fighting, kept fighting for our dreams and for my dream of having a family. And we got there in the end, but it was bloody tough and it was bloody uncomfortable, so you got to keep fighting because nobody is going to give that dream to you. Nobody, nobody. And too many people dream their life away and don't live out their dreams. Too many people are fantasists. We all indulge in it a little bit. You know, what would it be like to win the lottery? You know, how much we spend all these millions that we don't have. It's all right. But if it's a constant and you're just dreaming, dreaming, dreaming your life away, life is short, people. Life is short. Life is precious. When you get old, you've all you've done is dream that life away. That's not what you want. You got to fight, 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 fight for those dreams and make it come true. Next aspect factor. Number six, and that is people that fundamentally fail is because they, they fail to plan. If the chances of you succeeding in life are lower. Because they are lower if you don't have a proper plan. You don't have to worry if things don't go exactly as planned or the plan is imperfect. And too many people do. There is a phrase, done is better than perfect because perfect never gets done. Done is better than perfect because perfect never gets done. And too many people want their plans to go absolutely perfect. It won't. The best laid plans and all that, there's always jigging it, reworking it. But just do it, do it, but you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan in all aspects of life. Even if it's imperfect, having a plan is all that matters. And in that way, all your actions will then go in the same direction. If you don't have a clear plan, you'll most likely go left, go right, go forwards, go backwards, but guess what? You'll never get closer to your goals. And this is backed up by science. Don't take my word for it. Scientific research has shown that entrepreneurs who plan are less likely to fail and within your career, you must have career planning. If you really want to make it, those who have no sense of direction, those who just are scattergun, that have no sense of career planning are going to fail. Everything starts out with a plan. But you need to have adaptability and flexibility in the plan because there's always stuff that comes up that you need to rework it. So that's back to number six. People just don't have a plan in life. Number seven, back to number seven procrastination. Most people have dreams. I talked about the dreams that you've got to fight for those dreams because no one's going to give those dreams to you. But when it comes to taking action, they procrastinate.
1: I'll do it tomorrow and tomorrow I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow
0: never comes, people. Never, never comes. And certainly if, if never comes either. So stop procrastinating and delaying because the usual things that I hear is, "Oh, I'll do it when I'm ready or when the perfect time comes that they will act. And guess what? When you check back in, no progress has been made as time passes. And there'll never, ever be a perfect time, never be a perfect time to start working on your dreams. So you need to stop this procrastinating and you need to inject some sense of urgency in your life. You know, people think that they've got more time than they really have. That's one of the worst things that you can fall down in terms of patterns. Because we actually have less time than what we think. And people say, oh, you know, there's plenty of time to do this. And guess what? Before you know it, you grow old because you don't have that sense of urgency in your life and you need to stop procrastinating. So what you need to do in this aspect is you need to plan, plan attainable, measurable, specific and time-bound goals that you can hold yourself accountable to. And that's really important that next part. Because if you don't hold yourself accountable to it, those planning of attainable and measurable and specific goals, they'll go out of the window because you'll make yourself off the hook. You need to hold yourself to account. So before you begin, what you need to do is think things through carefully, plan out what to do next, and more importantly, how to respond to problems, because I guarantee you problems arise. They always arise. That's life, okay? One of the most important skills you can have is problem solving. So you need to regularly review your plans and make adjustments as necessary. Factor number eight, fear of failure. We are paralyzed by fear of failure. And guess what happens next? Consequently, we don't take the advantage of rewarding opportunities. Because we fear failure, we don't even try. But isn't that the greatest failure of all? Is not not trying worse than failing? And there's a great co- quote by Robert F. Kennedy. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. So failing isn't the end of the world. Don't be afraid to fail. So many people are. And it really does kill more dreams than failure ever could. We got to stop being paralyzed by it because it inhibits us and stops us from doing so many things. So what have you failed? Every single one of you in this room on every single platform known to man has failed, has failed again and again, and you'll fail again, I'll fail again. I've failed all my life, but I keep going and I keep learning. And you have to acknowledge that fear of failure is one of the biggest obstacles on the road to success. And when you overcome it and learn to overcome it, you can make a giant step forwards in your life. And what you need to do is take small steps forwards. It's the only way to progress. Slipping up here and there, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that you get back up and you continue walking. So don't see failure as a punishment. What you need to do instead is see failure and use the lessons that you've learned from your failures to then pursue those dreams that I've been talking about. Even more tenaciously. See it as life lessons. Too many people, when they fail, they think, that's it. I'm gone, I'm finished. Or they never, ever go near that challenge again because it hurt, right? It hurt their pride. It hurt their ego. It hurt them. And they saw it as a punishment. But if you change your mindset and rather see it as a lesson, what have you learned from that? So next time round, you won't fail like that. And then you can then channel that back into your dreams even more ferociously. Factor number nine, being in a hurry to get what you want. There are many people, many people who dream of achieving the greatest things and they set themselves incredibly challenging goals. It, we've seen it you know, on social media. We've seen it with friends. We've seen it with people that we know of. And then what happens with those people is that they are quickly intimidated once they realize just how high the mountain is that's standing in front of them. And when the lack of results don't come in, Guess what? It quickly discourages those people. So, for example, if someone hikes for an hour and then only to realize that the distance to the mountaintop has not been reduced, which is why they give up. And it's okay. It's okay to dream big and aim high. Everything starts in life with a dream. Every sports star, every person that's been great in life had a dream, but they, Worked on the how part to achieve those dreams. They worked on the road on getting to those dreams, and they broke it down. So, for example, if you're in the world of tennis and you wanted to be number one in the world or win multiple Grand Slams and Wimbledon and stuff, they broke it down. How can I do that? How I can do that is turn professional. How I can do that is making the top five hundred, then top two hundred and fifty, then top hundred, then top fifty then top 20 then top 10 and then number 1 so they break it down they have the dream but they break it down but what people do wrongly and where they fail is they aim too high so what happens is you set yourself up for a long and hard fall and then in turn you'll basically look at anything and you think, oh, yeah it's not going to work the mountain's too high it's not for me that dream's not meant to be I give up and that my friends is why people fail. Instead, you need to be encouraged. You need to work harder. You need to strive harder for that greatness that you want. And a real problem arises when we aim high without considering the dedication, the effort, the hard work it takes to achieve those goals. Do you think that people that break world records or at the Olympics and win gold they just turned up and rocked up and said, right, put a gold medal on my neck. We don't see all the mornings that they've got up about five in the morning in the height of winter when it's bloody freezing and cold. The times that they've had to go to bed rather than party. The times that they've had to say no to their friends because they were training. The times that they haven't indulged in foods that they ordinarily wanted because they're keeping their nutrition tight. Because they've got that dedication, that effort, that hard work, because why? They want to achieve their goals. This thinking is so, so important because at the end of the day, if we aim for the stars without considering the means of transportation, then how on earth are we going to get there? But we can't. You've got to have the transportation in order to hit those stars that you're aiming for. Unfortunately, what happens in life is that we're living in a society of instant gratification. And it's a human tendency. What you need to do, you need to break that. You can't be like everybody else on instant gratification territory. So you need to break down your goals to avoid becoming discouraged too quickly. And you're more likely to stay motivated during the entire journey if you set major and minor milestones. So have your major milestones and then your minor milestones, and then look to hit them. The more you hit them, the more confidence you have. And the more you believe in hitting your dreams and your goals. Factor number 10, a lack of belief in yourself. Successful people are not necessarily those who possess intelligence or talent. That's why I said it's successful people are those who believe in themselves. It goes back to that self-belief aspect. They set goals for themselves. They believe in their ability to accomplish them. Despite whatever challenges they face, they believe they're capable of finding a solution, they're solution finders they're solution finders. And as a result, what they do, they take advantage of opportunities that initially seem impossible to tackle, guided by their strong belief that they're capable, they're capable of figuring things out as they go. And successful people understand that nothing, nothing will work for them unless they're totally convinced of it. A salesperson will only be a great salesperson if they believe in the product that they're selling. If you don't believe in it, If you don't believe in your business, if you don't believe in you, if you don't believe in what you're selling, you're not going to be successful. You're going to fail. You need to believe in what you're doing and you need to be a solutions finder. So successful people have the determination to make things work for them. Whilst unsuccessful people look for reasons why things do not work for them. So as a result, it's paramount importance to realize how essential it is to believe in what you do. And your chances of giving up prematurely will decrease if you believe in yourself. Because what happens is that your conviction will drive you to continue searching for that solution until you find one. That makes sense. Factor number 11, excuses. We have two choices in life, excuses or results. Which one do you choose? Excuses. Which will always be there for you in life. We can all have that. There's always excuses for everyone or opportunity. Opportunities don't come around too often. It might only get one in life. You need to grab it with both hands. So if you constantly are blaming other people for your own mistakes and your problems or why you failed, then that's not going to get you nowhere. So we all face life with problems that derail us from our goals. I've had plenty, but the only way to make progress in life is to stop using these problems and challenges as excuses. So for example, Benjamin Franklin once said, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. So people who are successful don't let excuses stand in the way of their goals. They understand that making excuses won't get them anywhere. And consequently, what they do is they resist the temptation to find a feel-good excuse. We can all find it. I didn't quite achieve that because of this and that. And it feels good to find a feel-good excuse. But it's not going to serve you any good in the long term. It really isn't. You need to accept responsibility for, for the actions. And what you need to do is take those matters in your own hands, no matter how much it hurts and sometimes it hurts because we all muck up and I'm mucked up sometimes in life. I thought, oh, that really hurts. I can go down excuses land or I can take responsibility for that and take matters into my own hands. I choose to take responsibility and to take matters in my own hands. Excuses or results. I choose results. You all need to choose results. Factor number 12, a reluctance to network. People talk about your network is your net worth is actually your weaker ties and turning them into stronger ties is one of the determinants of why someone is successful. The more you convert weaker into stronger ties, the more your network is going to be beneficial to you. And I came from an industry or sector where I'm constantly networking on behalf of others. I'm a matchmaker. In my headhunting world, I'm a matchmaker and as a careers and accountability coach, I'm working on behalf of others. Sometimes I negated, negated myself and thought, oh, my results will do the talking. I don't need to network. I don't want to spend time networking. I want to go home. I want to watch that sports match. I want to just get home. I want to relax. And sometimes that's nice, but that's not going to get you that far because you've got two choices. Do you want someone? through the power of your networks to have a warm referral, an introduction, an opening of a door, or do you want to just constantly spend your life going down the long way around where you're breaking down brick walls all of the time? And that can become tiring after a while, exhausting. We all need a break. We all need the chance. We all need just that chance to shine. And the power of networking is so so vital because you don't want to be the world's best kept secret. You do not want to be the world's best kept best kept secret, especially in this day and age, this digital age that we're living in. The best known beats the best, so you need to you need to overcome any reluctance that you have with networking, but you need to network effectively as well. Too many people think they're networking where they're spraying their car, left, right, and center, hi, my name is, my name is. That's just spray gun approach. That's not effective, intelligent networking. You need to do what's called building relationships. Sometimes you have a network, but you've neglected that network. You already have gold, but you haven't gone back to that gold. You've moved on to other things and have neglected it. You haven't fostered and built relationships properly with people that can ultimately help you, who can open doors, who can open up opportunities. And by not doing so, you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities. And people underestimate the power of networking. Because when we leverage our relationships, we can then influence others to work with us instead of against us. Through networking, we can meet people whose interests are aligned with ours, whose values are aligned with ours. So the reluctance of networking will really, really hold you back. And that's a whole item altogether. That's a whole session in its own right on how to effectively network. Very, very critical skill. It really, really is. You have more competition than ever before. You Google anything, if you think of some random idea, I bet you, if you Google it, someone's already done it. Unless you're an inventor, then like Richard Branson once said, if you're not going to do something different. Then you've got to do something better. Got to spot the gaps, the opportunities, and through the power of building relationships, you can then have people that can help you because you can't be good at everything. And sometimes entrepreneurs, and I've been guilty of it, where you think you can do everything. And you end up actually holding yourself right back because you can have an overview of everything. You can be the t-boy, you can be the business developer, you can be the director, you can be the social media person, the accounts person, you can be all things. But that's exhausting after a while. Your gold, your mastery can be in one or two skill sets. And if you're focusing more on that, then that's going to go far. And also in terms of the world of work and careers. And maintain your network. Some people have never even gone to a headhunter, have never even applied for a job. Why? Because they've built a reputation up. They've got such a powerful network that they've just gone from one opportunity to another opportunity. A lot of opportunities are not even advertised, people. They're not even advertised. So the importance of networking is vital if you want to progress in your career, if you want to progress in your business, and as a founder. And someone who set up something from nothing from a corridor in Dubai, somebody who has been on a pay-as-you-go phone and set up business from absolute scratch, I know it's so important the networks you have that can really leverage yourself and your brand. So I'm joined by my friend Chris. Welcome. Before I go to factor number 13, we've got another seven on the list. I'm here to try and offer as much wisdom as I can because we're drowning in information, but we're craving wisdom. Chris, over to you. Hey, thank you, Johnny. When I think of networking, I think of community and just
2: looking at the table that taught 20 major reasons for failure, I think. You know, what's resonating with me is that sometimes you just don't learn from failure. We've hit this web three world where there's just a lot of opportunity and the opportunity is both good and bad. There's an opportunity to learn, but there's also an opportunity to get scammed. I believe you're familiar with Brian Fanzo, who's been on clubhouse a while and across other social media and has a podcast like yourself. And if you enjoy what you're hearing from Johnny here you know, definitely check out his podcast, other places that he's at, like LinkedIn, social audio.
0: Yeah, Chris. And it goes back to what I said about factor number eight of my top 20 re- reasons why people fail in life. And it's because failure is paralyzing, isn't it? It really is. And that Robert Kennedy quote that I gave, only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. It's so important. It's a mindset thing with failure. I think people, they are rather avoid challenging themselves for the fear of failing because they're in a comfort in whatever aspect than actually striving for real greatness and really propelling what they are capable of because everybody's got a talent and the two reasons why people don't achieve is because one they don't recognize their gold their value what they've got they diminish it they dismiss it oh everybody knows that oh that's not anything great about that And the second reason is they don't optimize it. I think a lot of it does boil down to failing, but failing, if we can just have the mindset of, so what? So what? It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. It's such an important point because too many people, and sometimes ego is the biggest problem with that because people have a big ego and pride and pride can be a good thing in one way, but pride can also be a sabotage to success. It can really be a sabotage to success because you're too proud to to go outside of that comfort zone, just in case you get humiliated, just in case you fail. How would your pride be able to deal with it? Factor 13 is a refusal to accept advice. So when people don't accept valuable feedback, they fail. So rather they argue for various reasons why they believe their actions are justified. Even if they're unsuccessful, they remain resistant to advice. They prefer to be right from their own point of view rather than open up to feedback. The reason is simple listening to feedback and other people's advice resembles the acknowledgement of their own faults, which is something they try to avoid at any cost. As a result, what happens is they prefer to convince others that they're right. Instead of learning to do things, so when faced with difficulties and failure, it's important to be open to feedback and advice. And sometimes we get too emotive when someone gives us negative feedback. We take it too personally. Or how dare they? There's something called constructive feedback and advice. When someone is constructively doing a critique, and sometimes our ego gets in the way of that as well we won't listen or we think we know it all. And the day you think you know it all, you don't know nothing, right? Because this whole life is about becoming better and knowing more. So you need to be open to feedback and advice. No one is born to this world with knowledge. Nobody, nobody. So everyone may not be able to help us. Those who can offer advice should be listened to carefully. It might be granddad. It might be the person at work. It might be a friend. It might be someone that you totally respect. We can all have words of wisdom and advice. Sometimes don't even belittle someone who you think may not offer you any kind of advice. Some of the greatest advice come from the most simplest of people in life, can come from someone who has grand wisdom in a village or that cleaner who's cleaning your office, because we have what's called life experience. And it's important that we gain insights and learn valuable lessons as a result of constructive feedback, because it's going to be really worth it. Anyone want to chime in on that before I move to factor 14? Brooke, go ahead.
3: Johnny, I love what you've just said. So, and I know that you know part of my story or my most recent story, gosh, our lives are so many stories all clumped into one book that makes no sense. (laughs) But that said, one of the things One of the things that I know is that when I heard this, that what is the difference between the master and the student? And it said, the master knows that they'll never not be a student. And I feel like that was so changing for me because as I was downward spiraling in the business that I was running, as I was finding myself pulled in too many directions and leaning on my laurels of like, I'll just grit through this, I'll just suffer through this a couple of things happened. One was I stopped asking for advice, which I guess should have been my first sign, but I was I was headed into the deep, you know? And and at that point, I think it was, I think the the collapse, the failure was imminent because I had made a lot of mistakes that had a lot to do with not wanting to be perceived as a failure, which is a huge mistake. But the second thing was when people would see me struggling and offer me feedback, I couldn't listen. Like it, it was interesting hearing you describe it because it was like if I listened to that one nugget of light, like even if a person can't deliver feedback in a positive way, even if they are delivering a ton of feedback and most of it's trash, but one piece of it is meant for me, I was no longer coming into conversations with the belief that there is something here for me. Like, I don't know what it is, and the only way I'll know is if I listen intently and recognize what's here for me. That had gone out the window. Like, I just was interacting with people to survive and seem like I was confident that I had it all together, which basically meant that my ears were turned off, my heart was protected, and my ego was like, don't worry, don't let anyone see you sweat. And that was just as you were talking about not receiving advice or not taking advice, I started to realize now, looking back, how many opportunities there were for me to ask for advice that would have been willingly given that I did not take up. And how many potential nuggets of wisdom I missed because I was so busy making sure that I had my mask on proverbially and be like, no, no, I'm just a struggling entrepreneur. Everyone's done that. I don't need anyone's advice. I've been successful so many times and I'll be successful again, that I was so externally focused that my inward listening was all but shut off. And I think it it was radical humility that brought me back to being able to recognize that advice isn't condescending, it's what you make of it. So I really identified with what you just shared.
0: No, I really appreciate that, Shan. And I, I think you're a very brave person, Brooke. You take life full on, Whatever problems you've got and situations, you've been brave. You've been brave in a world where most people are faking it and giving this impression that everything is glorious and wonderful. You see all these beautiful people and happy faces on Instagram and you think, oh, you know, maybe I'm not that good looking and I'm not that happy, but I must suck. At the end of the day, nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. And what I say with you is that you are brave in terms of confronting failures of life. You stand up. And you go again and you go again. And that's really, really important quality. And I just want to give you kudos and if I was with that. So I appreciate you. I'm going to go to factor 14. Failure to learn from past mistakes. Failures and mistakes deeply wound unsuccessful people. Failures and mistakes deeply wound unsuccessful. Therefore, what they do in that instance, they do everything they can to quickly forget those painful experiences. We don't like pain. But unfortunately, no pain, no gain. This attitude, what happens is it buries the lessons, the lessons and insights that come with those mistakes. What happens is if we if you ignore important lessons, rather, over and over again, we will repeat the same mistakes again until we finally get the message. So it's really, really vital that we don't bury our mistakes for the fear of experiencing, reliving those painful experiences and want to just put our head in the sand and say, oh no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to think about that. That was too painful. Right. Because we all learn from our mistakes if we choose to. And if we then take it a step further and we analyze what went wrong, that then leads us to the right path rather than the unsuccessful path. So you need to find out why your strategy didn't work. You need to find out why things went wrong and then you need to develop better approaches that can help you avoid similar mistakes in the future.
4: So I just want to welcome Robert Hanna, my great friend on the stage. Well, firstly, John, I just want to say thank you for what a great conversation and so many great tips and shares that you've given going through the top 20 major reasons for failure. And obviously it's no surprise that you're one of the top careers coaches and then the top 1% for your field and, and just doing such a wonderful job to build community. So first, I just want to say thank you for holding this space and, and giving so much value to the audience today. And secondly, just on the point that you just mentioned about mistakes, ultimately, our mistakes of what make us at the end of the day, Johnny, I have made so many mistakes. And like you pointed out, I think one of the points to to mention sometimes when you make mistakes you can go very into yourself very insular and you can't see a way out and so I say it's really important that you have the right people around you, the right network of people to pull you out of that mindset and that channel of thinking and I've fallen into this trap many a times Johnny within my entrepreneurial life or when things have gone I can't really understand why and you're touching on that before. why 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 But being able to ask a question to a mentor or coach or having someone around me that can maybe steer me because I can't see that potential way out is super important. And I know you touched on that before around the networking piece, but I really wanted to highlight that because that dovetails into a lot of the conversation today that ultimately we can all get through this if you have the right people within your network that you can collaborate and support you and push you through. So I just wanted to put that point to you, buddy, and really enjoying the conversation. Thanks so much for having me as always. And make sure everyone you hit subscribe to the Recruitment and Careers Club. Back to you, buddy.
0: Great points there, Rob. And I totally resonate with that because at the end of the day, you either, like I said earlier, treat mistakes as life lessons or you treat them as two painful experiences and learn nothing from them. I think Albert Einstein in UF Unit 2 said insanity is to repeat the same mistake again and again and yet expect a different result. <laughs> I think some people, they do fall down the rabbit hole or constantly repeating the same mistake because they haven't done an audit. They haven't analyzed what went wrong and actually learned from it. They've just buried their heads. So I totally agree with you on that. Brooke?
3: Johnny, I really appreciate this conversation. It is just, I'm a failure. And I don't say that negatively. I just, I do try a lot and I do push myself. And I want a lot of things that seem impossible. And so I just really identify with this conversation. And Robert, what you said was so true. On mistakes, as you were talking, Johnny, the thing that is so real is that the worst scenarios I have made for myself is when I've made a mistake. And everything I did to kind of cover up or hide my mistake was Exponentially more painful to maintain than the mistake itself. It was like all the gauze and things I put on top of this mistake. And it was actually one of the reasons why when I became homeless, I talked about it. I had finally come to a place where I was at rock bottom and I realized that I couldn't, my my psyche couldn't weather all the absurd performative things I was going to do to try to hide from my mistake. And that my only choice was to be like, send in the clowns and just be like, I am this. And I started to realize that one of the things about mistakes that creates deep failure is this idea that I am defined by my mistakes. Like I am defined by this mistake. I am my circumstances. I am the person I was yesterday. I will never be different than this or even worse. It's okay that I made this mistake, but no one can know. And so I, as you were talking through it, I thought the worst mistake I ever made was burying my mistakes. To to take those things and bury them because that's like giving them soil and water and letting them live for longer versus just be like, this is a scratch on my skin that I'm going to look at. And when someone asks what happened, I'm going to be like, I made a mistake. And every time I say it, it's going to heal faster I'm going to watch it heal. It's just for me bearing mistakes looking away from them believing that the mistakes are us is a really sure way to plant those seeds and start to feel like that mistakes are the cycles that keep repeating themselves versus it being a almost a symptom of self rejection which just brings you back to failure as a cycle and i feel like mistakes are the simple things that happen all the time and that yeah that when i started offering myself some grace with that and the way i had to do it was just to be to just accept that sometimes I am a clown. Sometimes I am a failure. Sometimes I totally mess it up and I mess it up. And sometimes there are consequences for myself and for others. And yet I am still, I'm still drawing breath. So I guess I'm still here. So what am I going to do about it? And I think that I think that I didn't find a lot of grace in my life to teach me that. I almost had to learn it by having no other option. But I think Mistakes is something we can all identify with, and so it's almost important to recognize they are separate from self and not bury them or hide them. They're just part of doing human versus being human.
0: Really great points there, and I can hear the sincerity in your voice. Mistakes, it is painful. You know, Nobody wants to make a mistake. Uh, you don't go out thinking out there in the world, please, can I make a mistake? I really, really want to make a mistake. No one wants to do that. But shit happens in life. We all make mistakes because yes, we are human first and it's our ability to learn from that, confront that and analyze it, which is what's going to take us forwards. When we hit rock bottom and I've hit rock bottom at times myself in my life, you've got two choices, you either give in or you fight. And necessity is the mother of all inventions. Plato was right. Necessity is the mother of all inventions. When your back's to the wall, what are you going to do? Just give up or think, no, stop this. You've only got one life. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight and I'm not going to give up on my dreams. So I appreciate you. Welcome Glenn as well to the stage. So we're going to go to back factor number 15, and that is Inability to deal with distractions, and why people fail. Success depends largely on a person's ability to ignore distractions. That's right. i scroll in endlessly on Instagram and TikTok and social media, and you find one hour, two hour, three hour, four hour, five. Oh, guess what? The whole day's gone. Or you've got distracted with other kind of vices. How you respond to distractions will determine how successful you are, because we all have. Them we all got a ton of distractions throughout, non-stop, especially in the digital age, electronic age that we're all living in. On the one hand, if you're unable to resist the temptation of distraction, guess what? Your workflow will suffer. You will lose sight of what is important if you continuously switch from your Facebook to your Twitter to your Instagram. And then what's going to happen is you're less likely to give full attention to the task ahead, less likely to do stuff correctly, which basically will result in poor performance. So how you respond to it and how you deal with distractions is, is absolutely vital to success. It's important to show that mental strength to ignore distractions whilst you work. And the less you give in to distractions, the more productive you'll be. A lot of people say, I'm so busy. You know, all the time you hear busy, busy. Busy doesn't equate success. Productivity equates success and being productive. So it's vital in a day and age that we're living in full of distractions, not to give in to distractions and respond to them in order to make sure you're productive. Who wants to chime in to any of what they heard? Glenn, go ahead. Thank you. No, I love what you said.
5: And I am almost 90-something percent agree. There's a small percentage that I disagree. And I find that I can be super focused and to the point of I'm doing the work that I need to be doing. And then at some point, my brain doesn't want to do anymore. And that's when the distraction kicks in. And I think sometimes, I think distraction will get a bad rap. The way you described it though, yeah, there's, there's some people that in some situations when we find ourselves easily distracted by things, but then there's a the other part of it where some of us are so focused on something that sometimes we need to step away. And when we step away and we do give in to the distraction, we come back with more focus. So that's just my thoughts. I think sometimes in order to be successful and be more focused, you need to also not be so focused that you, that you miss out on the distraction.
0: Yeah, that I would describe as a positive distraction when you have what's called outlets. So for example, you've been staring at that computer for hour after hour, or you've been confined in that office and you need to have a break because you're feeling like your flow, your mental capacity is depleted. So going out to play a game of tennis or for a walk or just to get outside of that environment and then come back into it is a positive distraction. Because that's going to enable you to get back into flow rate, to get back into that flow, which means that you're going to be more productive. That, that I totally agree with. Negative distraction is where you're wanting to do so many aspects, but you end up actually just doing not much because you've looked at your phone, you've had the pink, or you have had an alert from Twitter or Instagram and you find, oh my God, my day's just gone. And that's actually going to cause you more anxiety. And more stress because you haven't hit the targets that you need to, and you haven't done the work that you need to, and you haven't been as productive as you hoped. Do you want to chime back in, Blaine? Go ahead. Yeah.
5: Do you think that sometimes, because I can say that I, that even though I'm aware of it, I'm even reading a book called Hyperfocus: right? great book, by the way, believe that even in that it seems so simple. But I believe that it's something, even in the, the mundane distraction, like maybe some like, the thing that we would think is mundane to somebody else is like something that they absolutely need to do. And I think that my question would be, when we are feeling distracted it's, and most of the time, outside of like, there's a person who's just, I'm not talking about the people who are constantly distracted. I'm talking about when you're doing something and you know you need to do it, and then it doesn't happen. I think looking at what we're, looking at what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish, and finding out, is this something that we need to do? Now, you mentioned earlier about when I just came in, people saying that they're always busy, like busy work. And I think sometimes the distraction is to take you off the fact that this is not something that you need to do. And you force yourself to do it because you think you need to do it. But really, maybe the distraction could be in a form of trying to save you from something that you're not supposed to be doing, is my thought.
0: They're good points. I think it's all about habits really. And in the end, those distractions can lead to what's called bad habits. And those bad habits can multiply and that multiplication can cause you real kind of profound effects on you being productive and being successful. The more good habits you have, that outweigh bad habits. We all have bad habits. Not a single human being doesn't have a bad habit. But the more good habits outweigh the bad, and also there is different levels of habits that are of more importance than other habits, then that's really, really vital when it comes to being successful or not. So it's just making sure that we get in a routine of positive habits. So when I'm coaching people, one of the people I'm coaching, he is a business owner, he's very good at what he does. But he doesn't have enough good positive habits and he allows distractions To then feed bad habits. And those bad habits multiply, which means that he gets behind target, he feels stressed with his business in a negative stress because there's something called positive stress and positive stress actually leads him to doing things that are great and becoming successful. Negative stress is like, for example, oh, I don't have much business. I'm stressed about that. And a positive stress is when you're dealing with a lot of business coming in, That's a positive place to be because that's going to yield more opportunities for you to be successful and achieve your targets or in the world of work when it comes to your tasks and responsibilities. So it, it does boil down to habits and making sure that we really start developing positive habits that outweigh these bad habits that don't accumulate over time and really, really hold us back. Whether we're working for someone and especially I would say, Glenn, when we're working for ourselves. So we're in the era of the micro entrepreneur, people more and more are starting to set up their own things. You're either going to be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is when you work for a company, an entrepreneur is when you're doing it for yourself. And if you're a solopreneur or you're a s- smallish entrepreneur, so you, you're less than five people or less than a certain turnover, then you can develop a lot of bad habits, a bit like driving. You know, he starts off doing everything by the rule book and as time goes on, suddenly one hand is on the steering wheel and other kind of bad habits. So it's really, really important. And some of these distractions and how we respond to it, then reinforce whether we develop more good habits than bad habits. Ab, what's that help for you, Johnny? Go ahead. We, I don't, right, so I think cause what I'm thinking, right, I'm thinking how about each person would have to define what success is for them. And success is relative. We've had an instance of Ash Barty, for example, famous Australian tennis player, just won Australian Grand Slam, previously Wimbledon, world number one. Shock revelation, retires at 25. Because she feels like that's enough for her. That's what she's basically hit in terms of her version of success. Because everyone has a different version of success. And it is relative. I think it boils down to What is enough for someone? And a lot of people, they never get to the point that something is enough. You know, when is enough is enough? And it then affects all their well being or how they are in the journey of life because they're constantly chasing, 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 which does lead to greatness because you keep pushing the boundaries, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. But sometimes it comes at a cost in terms of your own inner happiness. And for me, success is three aspects. One, is having a meaningful career, right? And everybody has a career, whether you're an entrepreneur or someone in the world of business, or you work for a company. Two is to have a meaningful relationship because that's really important in terms of feeding your personal life. Everybody wants to be with someone, right? companion or have a family. And the third aspect is to make a difference. And I think that's where most people struggle because they think they equate making a difference to Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Beyonce, all, all these kind of individuals that you see on the TV or your social media. But we all make a difference. We're making a difference having this conversation. We make a difference to uh, the people in our lives. And that is the definition. I think more many people fail in life and they fail, they never realize their potential. Everyone has different levels of potential. Not everyone can be a Bill Gates. Not everyone can be a Beyonce. Not everyone can be a Roger Federer intense, but you can be the best of your version. And you don't want to then go through the journey of life and think, oh, if only I did this and if only I did that, or, or I never achieved what I wanted to achieve. I never achieved my dreams and goals. And I think it boils down to your dreams and goals. And everyone has different dreams and goals. Some people might be that they want to retire at a certain age. Some people, it might be that they want to live the La Dolce Vita life, move away from their home country, go to Amalfi Coast in Italy, set up an olive and spice shop, and that for them is a dream. I think if you're not hitting your dreams and goals, whatever they might be, or it might be even just having a family, a roof over your head, then that's your version of success, then that's your version of success. Too many people fail in hitting those dreams and goals and then just accept their lot in life and they're miserable. That's why 85% of people aren't happy in their jobs. That's why too often in life, we're all going on in this journey of life like a hamster on a treadmill. And we have enough distractions to keep us going. So we get maybe a chance to watch our favorite football team or our favorite TV series. So we don't all revolt and say, right, bring down the system. You know, this is unfair. Why should it be a certain percentage of the population, 2% of the population that have most of the world's wealth or the the country's wealth in terms of success in their financial capacity? I think as long as we fulfill those goals that we hold dear and those dreams, then that is the version of success. But like I said. Too, far too many people don't, which means they ultimately fail in ever realizing their true worth and their true potential. I think that's bloody sad. And I do not want that for the community that I'm trying to create. So that's why I'm trying to create a community where you're in the top 15%. That's why I try to create a community when I'm coaching people. Because like I said, we can all get information left, right, and center. We can Google, YouTube, everything to death but it's really wisdom that we're all craving. Anyone want to chime in, Rob, and then
4: Brooke? Johnny, I just wanted to put it on the record because it's a replay that I definitely could have been as good as Roger Feller. (laughs) Back to you, That's
3: so crazy. That's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. I just wanted to say this because I I hear, I, I do understand what Glenn is saying and I, And I, as a person who part of some of my biggest failures was my distractibility is that I think that success for any person, and this is speaking from my perspective, but I have noticed that success could be as simply defined as keeping promises to myself. I am successful if I keep promises to myself. If I promise myself that I will fulfill this dream, I am successful if I keep that promise to myself. If I am a person who wants to work four hours and leave four hours open to whatever might come up in my intuitive desires, keeping that promise to myself is success. And so I think for me, it's like developing the commitment and discipline to choose when I am indistractable. Like I am indistractable during these hours. I am indistractable when I'm doing this thing. And even if something else comes up, I have promised myself that I am going to be indistractable and I'm still free. I choose. I think that a lot of times success can live with a person who makes decisions quickly and changes those decisions rarely. And success struggles to even find those that linger on big decisions and don't make them, but then change their mind constantly. And so I know that the way I started to define success as I reinvented how I viewed myself in relation to the world was if I can keep my promises to myself and I trust that what I want for myself, for my life, for my community, for this world are worthy endeavors, then the best thing I can do is promise myself things and then do them. And that helped clear up some of my distractibility. So I just wanted to offer that. I yield the mic.
0: I absolutely love that. I think that's awesome. Really, really like that share, Brooke. Anyone else want to chime in before I go to factor number 16? Factor 16 is failure to accept responsibility. And it goes back to what I said about excuses. We either choose excuses or results. And with excuses is closely related to our unwillingness to take responsibility. So what we do is we seek out the fault for our situation outside of ourselves in both cases. And it's fatal. It's fatal. To give up control in this way so we cannot control what happens in our lives if we don't take responsibility for it we actually can't control everything in our lives and sometimes with entrepreneurs or in my world recruitment and careers or if you're in sales or anything where it's a bit of a cut and thrust you like to think you want to control everything no you can't all you can do is influence the outcome so if you can concentrate more on the influence in the outcome part you'll hit whatever you need to do in terms of targets and goals rather than just totally focus on control. But then the reverse extreme of that is when we give up control or failure to accept that responsibility for what we're doing. So we must be in a position to put ourselves to a certain degree of control to solve the challenges that we're facing. Otherwise, if we don't, everything that happens to us by that logic happens by just mere coincidence or accident, which means that we can't do a damn thing about anything to change it. So we have to accept responsibility. Too many people fail to accept responsibility. They look at everywhere but themselves. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard when things have gone wrong to hold your hands up. People want to deflect. Well, it wasn't me. It was him. It was her. That's not going to get you anywhere. So you can't go to the extreme of being a control freak, right? which entrepreneurs do go down that rabbit hole, me included, in the past. Focus more on influencing outcomes and put yourself in a position of trying to control things through influence rather than just fixating on being able to control everything. In fact, the number 17 and feel free to jump in anytime as well. Brooke, I saw you flash your mic.
3: Oh, actually, I, the point you made just keeping it short is that I think <laughs> underestimating a, your power is, I think, a really big thing that comes up before a person fails, it's almost like what keeps us from trying. And I think what you just said about accountability, I think that this idea that if I don't put myself in a position, if I don't become influential, if I don't, if I can just stay with the things that I have direct control over, which is pretty much just yourself, mostly, I mean, even sometimes not, it's like you are going to self-reject instead of letting the world reject you, which from my perspective, the worst person to ever reject you is yourself. Because you like were born in this skin. You're going to live with yourself every day. It's going to be you and you on the way out of here. So the person that needs to basically never reject you is you, because that's the person that you lay down t- with every night. That's the person who you live with no matter what. And so I loved what you said about, and I know it was more around your locus of influence, but I do think that some failures will never even happen because we are so self-rejecting. And we think that we need to have influence over everything in order to control our success, just like we control our little world. But the fact of the matter is, success is meant to be, it's meant to be a wave in the ocean. Like whatever starts the wave doesn't control how the wave progresses in every point. It's just what's meant to happen here is this wave. And I start the wave and I do these things and I do my best and I accept the accountability for what goes awry beyond what my human mind can comprehend at the time that I did it with sincere intentions. So I think the idea that, well, what if something I'm doing is ill-conceived and something bad happens comes back to this idea of trusting of trusting yourself, trusting yourself and not rejecting yourself before you've even tried. So I think that point made me think about how many failures will never happen and it's such a shame that they don't. pretty
0: really good points. And trusting yourself, is a really, really important ingredient to success and also a core ingredient to failure. One of the most important conversations and one of the hardest conversations that we can have is with ourselves. In having a frank conversation in knowing who we are, it's really quite tough. And some people go through the journey of life in really not understanding who they really are. And if you don't know who you are or what you want, then the direction of travel is going to be severely affected and you're not going to be what's called fulfilled. It's really important to have that fulfillment, especially when it comes to work. We spend so much time at work. We spend 40 hours a week, 2,000 hours a year at work. So for some people, their hobby is their job. Their passion is what they do. They're in that top 15% and not the 85% who aren't happy in their job. And there's a differentiation between a job and a career. I'm building a community along with Robert in people with careers because a job is a means to an end. It's living for that weekend, getting that Monday morning blues, feeling sick in the stomach. Life's too short. So you need to understand what you want. And once you understand what you want, then you can start to work on how to get what you want. And I think the how part is the really difficult one. People are not short of, oh, I'd love to live in a big house. I'd love to have a fancy car. I'd love to have all that. But they're very bad, very, very bad on the how method part of, of getting there. One of the important aspects is to accept responsibility and not failing to accept responsibility when things happen, because if you don't accept responsibility and stuff, you're just going to go with those two fins that intertwine excuses and failure to accept responsibility of cousins when it comes to failure. <laughs> Okay. Thanks, Brooke. Wally Green, would you like to tell maybe a bit about your story? Because I think it's quite fascinating in terms of your background and this topic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yes. My name is Wally Green. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I
2: grew up with a very interesting, crazy, bad, disastrous life. Very heavy domestic violence from the stepfather which led me to guns and gangs at an early age of 13 gang banging for many years till I was like 17, found an unlikely sport, sport that I actually hated called ping pong. That sport took me pretty much all around the world to every major country in the world playing for the UST. Then I decided I wanted to do a diplomacy for world peace in the most dangerous country in the world, North Korea. So I was able to do that. And back to the topic, I I, I think... The biggest thing which stops people or, or, or which hinders people from success is fear. I think fear is it, is 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 one of the major causes of people not being successful. For me, I, I, I don't have fear, so I'm very successful in everything I do, whether it's my business or my sport or 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 my film or anything, because I, I just don't have the fear in me to worry about what people are going to say or what people might think and. I don't worry about failing, you know. I always say, you know, I always look at things and say, "What can I do different?" So if it doesn't work, what can I do different? And and that's kind of how it works for me. And uh, yeah, I'm Wally. I'm done speaking. That's really quickly about me. Thank you.
0: Well, I found that absolutely fascinating your background and what you've done, and I love the mindset and attitude to it because I think what we what we what happens is. We overcomplicate things in life. And when we overcomplicate things, we talk ourselves out of stuff. We literally just talk ourselves out of stuff because we make it too complicated, too complex. And when we do that, we feel a kind of way good about it. If you oh yeah, yeah. I I knew I was right not to do that. Because it goes back to that fear thing and that comfort thing. It's human nature to be in comfort and comfort zones. And when you're pushing the boundaries and those anxiety and nerves come in and you're doing something alien and new, you're pushing boundaries and you're then making leaps forwards. I think a lot of people, they fail to do that because of the fear thing that you spoke about. People overcomplicate stuff and make things so high and mighty in terms of, oh, they build it up like Mount Everest, that mountain example that I gave earlier. And if you build something out so big and mighty, you feel so small and you play small. And by playing small and feeling like that, you're not going to then do the things that you want to do and achieve what you're going to do. You're going to give into that fear because then you go back to your comfort zone. You then go back to that cycle of behavior, that cycle of life And before you know it, 20s to 40, 40s to 65, and you wonder where your life's gone. Anyone want to chime in on that? Samantha.
6: Hello, everybody. And lovely to be here and great conversation. I was only in New York. I just left New York while he's green. But just to fear, I'm 13 years sober. Okay. And so one of the things I always say about major reasons for failure is getting rid of the thing that's holding you back. And the thing that was holding me back was alcohol. Okay. And as soon as I got rid of that thing that was holding me back, it could be sugar, it could be cigarettes, it could be a person <laughs> could be a family member, <laughs> but you know, as soon as I got rid of that thing that was holding me back, that started my journey into business and where I am today. And fear, we have a thing in in recovery where we say fear, f e a r, is feck everything and run, is fear. Or you can look at it a different way: face everything and recover. You know, so I mean, fear is huge. I know so many women in my network that, you know, they're afraid of technology. They're afraid to do a Twitter, a tweet. Opportunities. I send them opportunities. A vision board is great. I was just chatting to Kiki there in the chat. Put on your vision board what you want and make it happen. I made it happen. I don't even like flying, Johnny. And I got on a plane to New York. I always cry when it takes off. I'm okay once I'm up there and then I'm grand and I'm landing, which apparently is the most dangerous time anyway, but that's the part I'm fine with. It's the part where it takes off and it accelerates, all that. And I cry every time and I shake. But I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to march up Fifth Avenue in the parade, which is what I did. The St. Patrick's Day parade. But you know, it's about find out if you're not happy. Oh my God, life's too short. How many people have seen People pass away that just didn't have a good life. There is a wonderful life out there for us. Make it happen. Look what Wally Green did. Make it happen. And he can probably help so many people with his experience. I can help so many people with my experience. Think about what you can bring to the table. We all have different talents. I'm terrible with spreadsheets or folders or anything like that. I'm not good at that. So I I hire someone that's good at that. But if I want to go to New York, I will go to New York. I was setting up a a Women's and Sapphire Network group over there. And I'm going to set one up in every country. Paris, I'm going to go to next. And I'm going to make it happen by getting on a plane and going and networking and making it happen, connecting with people online who are in those areas. And that's how you do it. You make it happen. If fear is holding you back, what is the worst thing can happen? The worst thing that can happen is that you don't get someone that's going to want to work with you? And why would they not want to work with me? You know, make sure that you have in your head what you want and what you need to make that happen. Like you said, the doing part, it's getting the thing done that they want to do. Life is too short to be in a job you don't like. Life is too short. My poor dad worked all his life and was about to retire and then he died. And he would so many plans. And now I just think, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to make it happen and fulfill my dreams and everything on my vision board starts small. I always wanted one of those expensive Joe Malone candles. And so I was in the duty free and I bought myself a Joe Malone candle and a bottle of perfume. So I crossed that off my vision board. Start small, small changes and step by step, it'll get easier. It is possible. It is so possible, but surround yourself with good people. Like Johnny and Robert and, and Simon and Jennifer and, you know, the people, Brooke, I don't know Brooke yet, but, you know, find out who the people are, the real people, hang out with them, hang out with the winners, stick with the winners and you will get there and you'll watch them doing it and you'll go, do you know what, maybe I can do this and you can do it. Thanks. I'm Samantha.
0: Oh, I absolutely love that. Wally, do you want to respond or be you flashing your mind?
2: Yeah, yeah. I resonate with that so much and I just wanted to add on to that. Sometimes it goes even a step further. Sometimes you might not find any winners around you or any winners in your circle. And then in that case, you have to just be strong enough and focused to say, I'm going to do this. by myself, like when, when I decided I wanted to go to North Korea to, to do the diplomacy for world peace, I have friends from every major country in the world. I'm pro athlete, played for the US team, been everywhere. And every single person from country to country to country Said no. Every person told me no. Oh, well, we're not going there. You're gonna die. They're gonna kill you. You're not gonna come back. Etc. 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 But I had a vision, and I knew that I wanted to do it. And like she mentioned before, the first step is action. You know, without action, nothing's possible. And I said, okay. Well, if you guys don't want to go, and no one wants to go, then I will do it by myself. And that's where not having the fear of going there over the fear of what would happen. I didn't care about that because the vision that I had was so much bigger than any fear that I could possibly have. And so I wound up doing it by myself. So I definitely resonate with what she said. Thank you for that. Appreciate that.
0: Yeah. I love the exchange there between the two of you and, and you've got that can do attitude. And I always say to my kids, there's no word such as can't, right? And it goes down now to factor 17 and that is. People that fail possess a negative attitude. They possess a negative attitude. We come across people like that. People who always complain about stuff. But never change them. They never change them. Who always tells you, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. Negativity is infectious. And negative thinking will only need to let negative life. I used to tell my dad that, and I love my dad's bits. He's positive with his kids, but he's negative for himself, which has then had an effect on his life. And it's one of the most common causes of failure is not being able to change your mindset from negative to positive. And it should be your top, top priority. Positive mental attitude is so important. And sometimes we can't always be positive. We deal with a healthy dose of realism. We can't walk around 24 seven. I'm positive and positive and positive and positive because stuff happens and it affects us. We're humans. But those who possess that positive attitude within them, despite whatever life brings them, whatever life throws at them, just constantly try to problem solve out of it. They constantly try to find that solution out of it rather than complain, saying life is shit and work is shit my personal life is shit and I'm shit This is bad and this is rubbish and complain and complain and complain. It's not going to do anything for you, folks. It's really not going to do anything for you. And it's so important to overcome having a negative attitude and build that positive mindset, positive mental attitude. Anyone who's achieved anything in life has a strong positive mental attitude in their business, in their sport, in themselves in their work. Anyone want to chime in on that?
1: Hi, Johnny. Thanks for another amazing room. This is why I have clicked the greenhouse and rung the bell because you do not want to miss sessions with this guy because I love the dose of realism here. Look, we can't all be running around with unicorns and rainbows all the time. And the reality is no one is going to do this job for you. If you want that success, whatever it is, whether it's in your personal life, your work life, Whatever your you know, idea of success is, you have got to go out there and get it. And that doesn't mean you have to do it alone. And I think it's really important, as Sam said, about being surrounded by those support network, those people that will lift you up. But if you've got people who are just sapping your energy, or if you're going to walk around with your stomping your feet saying how rubbish it is, then, well, tough. It ain't going to get any better moaning about it. You actually need to do something about it. And I think it's really important to find that ability to shake off those bad moments. Have them, feel it, understand the pain, but then learn from it and say, okay, I don't want to feel like that again. So what am I going to do differently this time? And try to find that positive route out of it. Because I just, as I say, I just think anyone who thinks someone else is going to give them the golden ticket and do the work for them and give them the answer is misguided and short-sighted. I'm complete...
0: Well, I love that, share as always, Jennifer. And it's so true. No one is ever going to give it to you on the plane in life. You've got to go out there and get it. All right. You've got to fight for those dreams that I talked about.
7: No one's coming. You know, life is down to you. No one's coming to help. All right? It's all down to you. One of the biggest killers. So let's put attitude aside for a minute. One of the biggest killers to positivity is self-talk and it's our own self talk i i see this in candidates i see it in clients i see it in the people that i coach about their careers it's very it's very easy to listen to the voices in our head listen to the internal critics that we have so all i can say is practice guys practice switching off the internal critic i i I remember reading a book called stop thinking start living by a guy called richard carlson i'm gonna i'm gonna land the plane here but if you want to be more positive if you want to get more out of this world and out of your career put a filter on the internal critic that says i can't do this i hate myself i'm useless you know what i'll never be good at this it's not true our brains cannot differentiate between what they believe and what they actually see so sometimes we can we can see something or we can read something and you know in a sense our brains and our unconscious is a black box it cannot differentiate between what we actually see and what we experience And what we actually put into it. So if we put, if we feed it with positivity, if we feed it with the right ingredients, we will get some great results and put a filter
0: on that negative self-talk. And that's me landing the plane. Yeah, that's really good points there, Simon. And there's another aspect of this, of why people say these things are negative or self-loathing. And it can be, I did a, a, a content piece on this, and that's generational trauma which can get handed down from one generation to another, where you've had your dad, he's had his dad or mother or whoever it might be saying, you're not good enough. You're stupid. Do you, really? Do you think you're capable of doing that? I don't think so. And you've got to then put a stop to it when you have your own kids moving forwards and say, no, no. I'm not going to replicate what's gone on in the past. But for my kids, it's going to be different. And that comes down to, as well to your mindset, and how you deal with this in terms of either propelling that negative cycle, that negative cycle that could have been from your parents, giving it to you, then you give it to your kids, and then it goes on and on and on. There's no end to it. So it's really, really poor. Good point. Can I just quickly yeah, add something to that, Johnny? But
7: what you've just said is so important that you often get this in families. Over generations, you'll find that their offspring don't do well until there's someone who comes out and breaks the mold and says, well, actually, we don't have to do it like this. We don't have to follow the patterns that we followed before. Just one very quick thing. When I ask people or when I get people talking about self-talk, one of my first questions to them is, who are you hearing in your head? Not what are you saying to yourself? but who's saying it to you? And again, at that point, I shall land the prime. And I think Brooke was, uh, was chiming in.
0: Yeah. Uh, good points there, Brooke.
3: Wow. Thank you. And again, for people who've just joined, I have a very valued marriage with failure. And so this has been a room where I keep finding myself like, oh my gosh, yes. Yes. With each one you bring out Johnny. So I have to tell you, I cannot wait to re-listen to this room. So with that, yeah, oh, positive mindset is so important. And I just wanted to make a note of saying that is so different than toxic positivity. The day that I realized like that I was separating realism from positive mindset was a huge revelation for me. That I thought that if I was being real, then I'm seeing the worst of things. I'm seeing them for what they are. I think I'm being objective. But the fact is that it's because I had only seen modeled toxic positivity where it's like, coming from a home with abuse, like watching abuse happen and having a parent be like, well, you know, at least we're not homeless. Like, And I actually had villainized homelessness as someone who's recently been homeless my whole life because I thought, well, you're not allowed to complain or think something's bad if you have a roof over your head. And so one of the things that I really loved about what was talked about here is a positive mindset is developing an honesty with what does and does not serve the person you are and the person you're becoming—it isn't negative to be like that. Isn't good, and it's not for me. You don't have to be like, oh, I love that negative thing. It, it's just such positive mindset. It goes back to that honesty and trust with self, and that idea of empowerment. Like what I see is real from the perspective that I have. So my perspective is: is there something good in here? And if there isn't something good in here, for me, then it's probably not for me and I'm allowed to let it go. I think positive mindset has more to do with letting go of past versions of yourself, or at least for me, and letting go of what I thought I wanted when I allow myself to recognize that I'm walking the path and things are going to look different the closer I get to my destination. So I just like to throw that out there because toxic positivity is almost the antithesis of a positive mindset. It's like lying to yourself but putting positive words on it versus lying to yourself and always seeing the negative. So thanks for letting me share on that.
0: Yeah, and I've loved all your shares. It's an open, free-flowing conversation, folks, as well. And sometimes you're going to have to make a difficult choice because sometimes you have to walk away from people that are bringing you down in life. You want to surround yourself with people that are bringing you up. And at times, it can be family, which is hard. But if it's having this profound negative influence on your life and you feel like it's crushing you and bringing you down, sometimes you just have to get away from it because you've only got one life and it's really, really important. I'm telling you, it's really, really important, that aspect. So I'm going to go back to number 18, uncontrollable desire for something for nothing. Have you ever encountered someone who wants something for nothing without helping anyone else to get what they want? They believe they can get what they want. That's a big mistake, right? So you begin to get the things you want in life when you are able to help others. Businesses succeed because they're able to help enough people to be profitable. People who succeed within the world of work or in the world of business is because they solve problems. The bigger the problem, the more people will pay for it. And the people that have ended up billionaires. Is because they've sold a big enough problem to enough people that there is on this planet. So it's really, really important to get away from this something for nothing culture where it's almost like, well, you've got this automatic God-given right to have something. That does not work like that. You have to change that mindset because if you don't, you're going to go down to the failure rabbit hole that we've been speaking about. And it's just stopping that uncontrolled desire for something for nothing. Of course, if we won the lottery, we're, we're not going to say, oh, give the back that ticket. I don't want it. Of course, we'll, we'll take it. But everything in life requires dedication, hard work, and effort. And you've got to focus on coming across problems and solving those problems rather than thinking about, oh, it's all about me. I'm going to take, 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 take more, take, take, take. And I want something for nothing. And I'm not prepared to help anyone else because it's all about me. And I want to take, take, it doesn't work. You have to think about in your life and within the world of business and work, how you're helping others how you're solving problems. And that's how you go about success. If you're able to help enough people, you'll be profitable and you'll do well in the world of work.
4: Anyone wants to chime in on that, <laughs> Rob and Jennifer? Yeah. Thank you, Johnny. I, I just wanted to link this to to networking and the starting off of relationships. And and again, with, with, with job seekers, Johnny, sometimes they go for the kill in terms of this is what I want straight away. And we know the art of really fostering great relationships is leading with some sort of value or leading with something that will hopefully give a positive impact to the receiver. And I see so many people, and you see it, Johnny, as well, where we get so many transactional messages saying, hi, can you help? You know, literally as simple a message as that. And unfortunately that just creates no value. There's no incentive. There's nothing there for me as a receiver to even want to bother responding. So whenever you're thinking of kickstarting a relationship, take that step back take that time look at the profile we're in a world now and age where there's so much information that's out there that that first impression you could make and a synergy or a correlation or a way you can make a really strong impact could really kickstart a relationship and as an extension of that over time you'll get a lot more out of that relationship because you can never kickstart a first impression once again johnny because that is something i have learned the hard way myself so back to you buddy
0: yeah that's fantastic points and it's so, so true. I even hate working with companies that is transactional. It's all about, for me, my recruitment company, Forte ICT. it's all about partnering and making the right choices for both the client and the candidate. And people, like you said, Rob, it's all about, you know, the transactional nature and there's no value given and there's no value exchange, then it's not going to bode well for you. Jennifer?
1: Yeah, I love that point by Rob. I think one of these, th- goes to this issue of, Some people are completely ruthless and they've got their aim and that's what they're going for and they want it instantaneously and they don't care how they get there. And I think you have to remember that, you know, be careful who you tread on on the way up because their hands won't be out when you're back on the way down. And so it's about that sort of concept of giving, sharing, giving away some of that knowledge, helping and sort of supporting others. And that builds that relationship. I think it's so important that you're not just so single-minded that you end up in a very lonely place because at some point you will need that assistance.
0: Well, I absolutely love that. That's going to stick in my head. And the quote I wanted to give to everybody was that an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty and the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. Anyone else want to chime in on that point? Brooke, go ahead.
3: Yeah. So I've been working with this business who I met during my travels when I was homeless and I have been using some of my acumen in business and growth to help him establish a marketing program. And one of the things that is interesting as Rob was talking is he used to be one of those networkers that would show up to networking events and be like, do you have a lead for me? Like just meeting a person and being like, oh, yeah, if you have anyone you want to refer to me, here's my contact information. And I, I had done this breakdown with him where I'm like, yo, like that's like, like, relationship it's called networking relationships for a reason like you wouldn't go on a dating app swipe and then say do you want to get married why not like said and then if they don't say yes then they're like oh they're trash no like that's that's not that's not how to create relational value because people need to recognize that there is a like symbiotic and synergistic benefit to both people and so one of the things that i think about a lot is When we're wanting to build success, we're thinking of the tallest tree and we don't ever really get to see the forest floor. But the forest floor is the ecosystem that the tree will grow from. And I think that a lot to do with wanting something for nothing is forgetting that it all starts at the forest floor, every single part. And a whole forest grows from the forest floor. One tree can be placed in the middle of a neighborhood. And how often do you see those trees die and have to be replaced by an HOA or what have you? But the forest floor is actually what nurtures and keeps the forest alive and allows for so much to grow from it. And so that's why I think if you want something for nothing, it's kind of like skipping the part where you lay the ground and you allow things to grow based on the efforts and the energy and the willingness you put into it. And I just think you can chase success or you can grow it. And that's what I kind of think about with wanting something for nothing.
0: Did anyone else want to chime in? I see them, Paul, Jason, Barbara. Jason, go ahead.
8: So to add on to what was just mentioned because I thought it was really good is I think sometimes people forget that some of the most happiest moments and most successful moments of people's lives are when they put themselves second. And when people take acknowledgement Of where they come from. If they're coming from a place of need. Versus want. Is a big shift. And if you have a listing for that. You could determine a lot. Based on how to engage. And or how to receive. But I would say. I'd go back to the fact that. Our greatest moments of. Of true pure happiness. Which may last for 16 seconds. But nevertheless. Are those moments when we put ourselves second. And in doing so. In networking to the point that was just made, a lot of times people fail to forget or just simply fail to do in giving direction and or a directive to who they're actually working from. As an example, if we were talking and I'm putting you in getting to know who you are, what you do, how you do it, the value you bring, and quite frankly, those are all contexts of giving me data of who you are, the core values, what's important to you. But the really important question is, in my opinion, would be is, what are you up to in the next 12 months? What are you committed to? Because that's the missing. And that, quite frankly, is all that really matters because it's not present. If it was, then you wouldn't be talking to me about it. And so just wanted to add that to the last statement because I think it was really good. Thank you.
0: No, right, thank you, Jason. Anyone else want to chime in on that point before I go to back to the number 19? So we're down to our last two folks. If you want to hear these last two? Definitely. Simon? Just a couple of things. Do you
7: know, we're talking about on the basis of people wanting something for nothing. I've had this discussion just once or twice with many of my colleagues. It's about sacking clients that simply aren't worth having. That sounds a bit awful, doesn't it? I'm sure this happens to lots and lots of small businesses. Sometimes you meet a client who wants literally everything for nothing to the point where delivering a service for them, it can cost you money. So I, I've kind of seen people wringing their hands and saying, oh, well, look, it's really difficult. We can't get rid of clients. Well, actually, in my experience bad clients or clients that want everything as cheaply as they can possibly get it or they want to undercut everything that you do are simply not worth having i tend to find that they are usually if we look at the 80 20 rule they are usually in the 80 percent, or in fact they might be in the top 20 percent of the people that give you the most trouble as clients so again it was just a point on this thing of when people don't want to pay for a service or when people don't value us by not paying for a service, if we're experts at what we do, I guess
0: we all expect to be paid, do we not? I really like that, actually, Simon. I think Rob did as well. Go ahead, Rob.
4: Yeah, I really like that point, And I really agree with that. And I think it comes back to fear again, Johnny. I think certain small business owners at times are fearful of sacking clients because of what may happen down the line, or can they afford to lose that particular client? And so many things, Johnny, just all teams seem to orbit around fear, but Simon's absolutely right. The right decision at that point, when a client is not worth the time, they're not seeing your value, they're stretching you in so many different directions, not recognizing what you're doing for them. You're better off investing your energy elsewhere. I mean, we all have challenging clients and absolutely we should take them. But ones that Simon articulated, I think we can't be fearful of just making that bold decision and moving on. So back to you, buddy.
0: I totally agree. Uh, It's so, so important because bad business is where it can really lead to destruction. And you better to have no business than bad business there because you can then focus on the right business and a lot of small businesses and independents do have like this situation whereby they deal with a company or a client and the company or client often is bigger if you're dealing with a multinational or whatever and they feel like they can abuse the relationship a bit more push it push it i want this and i want that and there's no end to three there's no end to three And people don't appreciate stuff unless they pay for it. And in our industry as well, recruitment and careers, for example, a lot of clients feel like they can take, take, and that would only end up as a recipe for disaster. Sometimes you have to say no, and no is powerful. No is powerful because if you start to get used to saying no, not all the time. Now you go tomorrow, every single day. No, 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 that's not going to work. Everything to an extreme. Doesn't work. Everything in moderation, folks. Then you're able to best utilize your time, whether it comes to business or the world of work, with the right people who actually do value you, who actually do want to have a partnership, who actually do appreciate what you're about what, and what expertise that you, you're about to give rather than abuse or take advantage of the relationship or it's just one-way street. Doesn't work. So I totally agree on that. Can I add to that? Yeah, go ahead, Jason.
8: One of the things is that those moments also are opportunities for upsell of something that they may need. They just can't see for themselves at that moment because that no could be is no, I can't do that. And yet what I could do for you is X, Y, Z based upon what you're lacking or what you're missing. And it could lead into another conversation. Just wanted to chime in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Factor 19. And that is an indiscriminate spending habit. So ask yourself this, are you prone to buying things you don't really need? Who's done that? I know I have. I bought stuff in the past and I bought it and I don't need it, but I got caught up in it and I bought it. How much did that new car cost you? Did you really need it? Do you really love that Mercedes that you're driving or you love? what it represents in terms of you're trying to impress other people by driving that say. and what separates the rich from the poor is wasting money instead of investing in themselves. So next time you want to buy a whole new wardrobe or you want to buy bins indiscriminately and you're spending everything you've got, one, you're not going to add to your net worth or your wealth, and you're actually not going to push forwards and it's so, so important, whether you're a business owner, or whether you want to save up for that next house, we all like to have bins. We're in a very consumer centric societies in the West. but I think we get caught up a lot with impressing other people in buying stuff that we actually in the end we don't really need. Who wants to chime in on that? Just flash your mic, Dimple and then Brooke and then David,
9: yeah, Johnny. I mean that happens all the time. and I think it's really important even to downsize, like if you're trying to really invest in yourself, you're going to have to have money that comes from somewhere. You're going to have to have resources that come from somewhere. So sometimes, you know, if you're living a big lifestyle and it's not really getting you anywhere, I think it's time to think about downsizing in certain things so that you can upgrade in other things in your life because it's always going to be That give and take. It's always going to be that sacrifice. And it's going to come down to what are you willing to sacrifice now so that you can build a future for yourself? It's kind of like the mentality of okay, when you're young and you have energy to work, you may be able to put in 10 to 12 hours a day now so that when you get older and it's time to retire, that instead of retiring at the age of 65, you can retire at the age of 55 because you know what? You planned for that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I think people need to change the way that they think. And I think they need to change their mindset and mentality around impressing others and like status things and things that are like designer labels, because those things are very temporary and they will come and go as fast as they come, but they're not going to bring you. True contentment and happiness. They're really just basically fake. It'll bring you happiness for like a day or an hour, but then the next day you're going to wake up and you're going to feel empty all over again. So you have to think about those things. What is it that you're doing in your life every single day? What steps are you taking that are actually going to help you build the kind of future that you want for yourself, for your children?
0: Great share, Dimple.
3: Yeah. So, what I'd like to say on this is that I think it is responsible in the pursuit of self awareness to recognize that I have been conditioned to consume from a very subconscious and young age. Is that that, and that also the second observation is that. Money is energy and energy flows. So like this idea of burning a hole in the pocket is is also kind of like holding lightning rod in your pocket. Like it probably would burn a hole in your pocket. So what I think is interesting is that when I and I and I'm speaking of my most recent failure, because it was actually the only failure I let anyone in the world ever see. Like I failed a million times. I just Most recently, my company failed last year as I realized that I had built a business that I didn't believe in. Anyway, and one of the most jarring experiences, Johnny, actually, I kind of hated that you brought this up because it's one of the most humbling experiences in my life was I had, my company was imminently going down and there were things I probably could have done to change it, but I would have had to compromise what I had decided I cared about from a value standpoint. And so there was no money and I had this moment where I was like, okay, what do I do? And it was either decide the values didn't matter or get ready to be homeless. And I remember in that moment, I looked around my house, my like gorgeous home with my big 12 by 12 windows and like all these inc- this incredible furniture. And I used to make jokes about how I would have like obsessions with rugs and obsessions with couches. and obs- And I looked around my house and realized that I had built a tomb that was trying to communicate to me that I was successful versus laying a foundation where I understood the impact that I was trying to make with the problems I was solving, the people I was helping, and the solutions that I thought could travel across the world and touch people in ways that would Empower them to change their own lives. And instead, I had rugs and couches and TVs and all manner of technology because I I ran a company where everyone worked from home and everyone, every employee had the same kind of things because I would just shower money everywhere thinking that was me being generous. But part of it was just me being immature, me being irresponsible, me also being ignorant to think that there's always another opportunity coming down the pike, which I do believe there is. But I do think that. One of the things that caught me off guard was that I saw myself for the first time in the mirror and it was like the portrait of Dorian Gray where I was uglier on the inside despite my efforts to be the right person that the world wanted me to be. And so I took every single thing I owned, put it in the yard, went on Facebook Marketplace and started a hashtag called single mom yard sale and had like hundreds not like, I don't know, nearly a thousand people showing up for a week straight, buying everything I ever owned for a dollar each, just because I started to realize this was a palace of my ego. And it wasn't, it had nothing to do with my success. It had everything to do with, I thought that being successful meant being able to spend what I wanted. And I had started to lie to myself saying, well, you know, you got to spend money to make money. And that's true. And I was misusing and abusing wisdom to my own immature consumer whims And I just think, I think that that is something that more people than not identify with. I think that if you sat all day, not even in a meditative state, if you sat all day and thought, okay, I'm not going to move from this spot until there's something to do. Once you had done self-care and eaten breakfast, you'd be shocked at how the next thing is, where can I spend money today? And even if that's not how you think about it, it is like, should I go to the store? Should I go shopping online? Should I go to a movie? It's like every single thing becomes a consumption of something. And it wasn't until I became homeless and literally would be sitting there and be like, what, what should I do? That I started to realize that without money, there are so many other ways to create impact that when I came into my own now where I'm living inside and building my business is that it's having that level of discipline with yourself to be like, is this something where I'm investing myself, investing in others, investing in my business, or is this just one of those, you know, sweet things where I just want to indulge and consume? And finding the balance in that was absolutely life changing. I yield there,
0: David.
10: Peter, that was a, a very felt and very beautiful share, and uh, you actually use a lot of the same words I was going to use in my share. So I'll take it in a different direction. My thinking around this is. First of all, what's your motivation? What's your intention when you're spending money? And unfortunately, some people spend money like people drink alcohol or they eat food. What I found is when it comes to running a small business, there are a certain set of just tactics that we all need to have to run the business. And so there's a baseline, a spending baseline that we need to have to have an effective business and and to be productive. And to Brooke's point, yes, you need to spend money to make money. But before that, there is like, I need a bookkeeper. You know, she costs hundred dollars a month. Yes. Her name is Kathy. She costs hundred dollars a month. I need uh, a tax accountant. Fred costs, uh, you know, $2,000 a year, you know, divided by 12. Uh, I need an invoice and time tracking solution. What's that cost? Part of it is, you know, exploration of literally writing down, making yourself accountable. And then having an accountability partner who says, yes, in tr- terms of, you know, creating this business and then running it effectively, you do need an accountant. You do need a bookkeeper. You do need a time tracking for my business. You do need invoicing system. You do need a CRM solution. And so the, there's all these things. You don't have to break the bank either. You know, I could spend $100 a month and have a HubSpot system and all the fancy analytics that I don't need, or I could spend $12 a month and use this CRM system called lessannowingcrm.com. And so but that, that isn't something that I've learned overnight. It has taken me years to come to the place where I don't need to spend a thousand dollars a month anymore to run this business. I have a computer, I have a cell phone. I have a handful of online apps, thankfully, that help me manage this business and I cap it at that amount. And if I ever want to go over that amount, I say to myself, okay, so do I need to cut something somewhere else to keep it at that amount? And if I want to raise it above that amount, then what do I need to do business-wise to bring in more money to help, you know, my, my business people to afford something extra? The second thing I'll say really quickly is I know a lot of people, uh, maybe not some recently, that have borrowed money from the small business administration because they think, hey, I need a new computer. I need a new desk. I need new plants. I need, And the trap is that People seem to think that's not their money. You know, you borrowed it and you pay it back over a period of time at a low interest. What I've learned is, excuse me, start out with what you really need and go from there. And when you're making money, only then can you say to yourself, yes, I can spend more money to make more money, but then look forward, budget it out, work with the people that you hired, the accountant, the bookkeeper to figure out, okay, how much money can I spend reasonably and still might pay my taxes? and still pay my rent, and still pay my employees or myself. And that you're living a very comfortable life, but also a life where you can see projectively where you may be in the future and what you need to do to scale your business without losing your
0: money and losing your shirt. Thanks so much, Johnny. I'm David, and I'm complete. i tell you someone who's really good at keeping an eye on the pennies and making sure they maximize his profit is my great friend, Robert Hannah. I think a lot of people get consumed with turnover, and there is the saying of turnover is vanity, profit is sanity. And some people, they make money in terms of doing sales and stuff, but they're not actually good at making a profit. And that's because they're maybe not financially literate or some of the stuff that you said, or they're not good, good at keeping on top of the cost and expenses. And well, if, if Robert's there, he, he's, he's really, really good at that because in our, in our businesses, there is a high margin to it. Uh, when it comes to recruitment, within reason, obviously, if you can keep an eye on the cost. So you could have an online business, whether it's recruitment, whether it's coaching, and the costs can be kept to a minimum. And where people go wrong is when they go crazy in terms of advertising, or they scale up too quickly, they get lots of staff in that suck up their balance sheet. Because one of the major reasons why startups fail is scaling too fast. And one of the sectors which fails the most, 25% of all failures in startups is within the information sector and nine out of 10 startups, folks fail within 10 years, nine out of 10, most people fail within the startup world. So you need to be on top of that.
4: Well, Johnny, Thirsty, thank you for the, for the kind words. I was just going to, to build on where in our industry, where you touched on a couple, but maybe just to add a bit of flesh to that, where the mistakes do lie in terms of, you know, poor expenditure. And so you touched on hiring. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to laziness. What, what I have experienced with, with organizations that are looking to go through, through high growth and just employ people, they don't have the right systems and process in place, or they wish for their people to do well. So they hire someone and think they're going to be this next phenomenal fee earner. They're going to be this amazing fee generator. But they're not given the tools or resources. They're not given a proper onboarding. They're not given a development plan. They're not given the real strategy and tactics to ensure that they'll flourish within your organization. I've seen that happen time and time again. Also, with advertising, Johnny, organizations waste a huge amount of money, particularly recruitment firms through Poor generic adverts. You know, they're just very lazy. They're very sloppy. They're just putting things out there, hoping to get a response. And as Simon was saying earlier, you know, he's invested a lot of time, energy, and effort to really talk to his candidate within the job adverts. But if you go online now and look at most job advertisements, there'll probably be just a bit of a job description with a bit of a header and a bit of an outro. There's nothing really selling or talking to you to entice you and organizations are wasting hundreds, if not thousands of pounds, dollars a month on that, Johnny. So it's really important whenever you're making an investment that you're serious behind it. It's not just the money, but it's the application and having the right process through. And as you said, you know, I'm, I'm very, very militant in the way that I operate, that if I'm going to invest in something like our podcast, which initially was a huge cost. You know, the time away from fee generating is a cost. But making sure that you apply that, you have the right focus and to where we are today, and I'm not going to go on a sales pitch with it, but I'm really, really focused around any investment that's related to the business as a key strategy and driver behind it. So ultimately it leads to driving and proving the bottom line. So back to you, buddy. Yeah, I love that. Frank, are
0: you there? Yeah, I'm okay. here. Yeah. I'd love to hear your take on
10: faith.
11: Yeah, well, I agree with everything everybody said, and I think that all the obvious has been said. So I'll hit it from a different angle and say that I think a lot of the failure is masked as failure. And I think a lot of it stems from like a lack of patience. Like we live in an in the now society. I always think back to this image that I once saw of a guy mining for diamonds and he's breaking through the wall and you can see how deep he has gone, but he quits. But you can actually see that if he were to take one more hit at it, he would have broken through that wall, but he has no idea. He's just staring at a wall that he's been hacking at and hacking at. So I think part of the problem is the lack of patience. It's not actually the business failing. It's the people failing to write it out. People failing to accept that these things are not instant gratification. Like we all want everything so quickly and we get told no, or we get you know, kicked in the groin or we get pushed down and we think that, oh my gosh, well, I guess it's not going to work or I've been doing this for a year and it's not going to work. And if you just take a simple look at data, which doesn't typically lie, you see that like these things don't come easy. They don't come quick. Success is like a very, very long road. And it's very rare that people get it really quickly. And I'd argue those that do get it quickly don't end up keeping it or learning as much as those who go through the failures and stick it out. So I think that in a lot of cases, it's more of not even the business failing, it's the people failing to see the macro picture. It's the people failing to see that there are certain things and milestones that need to be achieved for you to be able to then hit the velocity that you need to be able to determine that you've got a product market fit and that you're able to now grow and build. I, I think a lot of it just comes down to people quitting too soon. I think it's a lack of patience.
0: Such great points. And can you just explain to the audience your, your backstory in terms of failures and, and in the end, achieving what you achieved? Because I think that would provide value and, and, and inspiration, really. I've
11: failed at everything you can think of. Every type of business from online to brick and mortar to selling a service to creating a product to I mean everything I've just I've failed on all fronts and I think what that's allowed me to do is it's allowed me to become like quite nimble and and I've always looked at like the game of business like a video game there's levels and if you beat level one and then die in level two when you have to start over well you kind of rip through level one like that's easy now and you get to level two and eventually you beat level two and then what happens is you get to level four and you die and you go back to the beginning, but you rip through those first few levels. So I've always looked at it as, okay, I'm learning. I'm getting closer to that goal. Every time I retry, every time I pick up, I guess one of the analogies that I look at is, okay, I'm on one side of the water and on the other side is my goal. So I'm going to take this chip and I'm going to try and get across. And I always seem to get blown up at some point. I mean, just blown to pieces, but. Rather than just kind of crying about it, I look around and go, okay, what of this ship can I salvage for my next journey? What can I take from this? At the end of the day, I'm still trying to get to the other side. So what have I learned from this venture that's going to help me get through to the next venture? I think that's basically why I'm able to today kind of get from A to B pretty quickly. I can get people to join my ventures pretty easily, I think, because I'm a good evangelist. I'm good at articulating a good vision, but I also don't show much fear in the thought of kind of failure because the hell, I mean, tell me what you failed at. You want to laugh at me at what I failed at? Well, tell me what you failed at. And if your list isn't bigger than mine and you are not wildly successful, then I don't really give a damn about what you think about my failures. I'm here for me and to build legacy and to build something and to learn. So I think you learn some failure. That's where most of it comes from. There, And
0: I do think it's a lack of impatience. I thought that was an amazing share and I absolutely loved that. That's back to 20 intolerance. Good business people should be open-minded. They should welcome new ideas, new ways of thinking, new types of people. You will lose your reputation if you exhibit too much intolerance or intolerance towards others especially when the people you're intolerant of or work or do business with. It's really, really important that if you don't evolve and you don't progress as a person in terms of your tolerance level, and you're just intolerant of everything, that will be a recipe for disaster. And the last bonus one that I'm going to give you 21, I did say the top 20 reasons, but I'm going to give a bonus factor. And that's the inability to co- cooperate with others. We're in the era of collaborations, it's a buzzword. We hear it again and again, but it's inevitable that you'll collaborate with others. Every business involves people. If you can't cooperate with other people, you won't get very far. The only way to get what you want is to help other people get what they want. And that won't happen for anybody who refuses to cooperate with others. Okay. So Wally Green, did you want to chime in? Yeah, that's what you just said. Now is is oh
2: so true. I'm co-owner of a business called Spin, and we have two locations in the city. We have another six throughout the country. But when we first started, when we first started this business, it was just me and three of my friends who actually kind of knew nothing about business. Like, we didn't know anything. You know, I know Ping Pong, my other friends were filmmakers. We had a super great idea. We had a celebrity with us who was willing to get us investors, find investors to make the business happen. But we really didn't know much and we struggled. Well, we, we never really struggled because we did have a celebrity, but the business itself never really grew. And then a few years, uh, a few years later, like in the fourth year, we brought in some new people. Some fresh people, some Europeans, and me, in particular, didn't really like them because I was at, I, I was kind of like in the mindset: "This is my baby. I don't want nobody helping me, especially some people I don't know." And you know, so so I, I really didn't like them, but at the same time, I, I did see the importance of whether I liked them or not didn't really wasn't really important What was more important is do we want this business to grow do we want to open up more more locations around the country and if we did the only way was to actually you know cooperate with these new group of people that came on and i quickly although it was hard because i i'm a kind of person that like you know really believe all it's my baby and and I want to do it the way I want to do it, right? But sometimes it, it's better to not be the not be the smartest person in the room, and let people who who actually know what they're really doing to help you. And being able to change my mindset and and say, okay, you know what, I'm going to give these people a chance, and and let me work with them and not push against their ideas. And uh, because of them, our business has become very successful. And we are opening multiple locations all over the place, but it was that initial, you know, being able and willing to collaborate and, and not give that pushback. So I just wanted to share.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you, Wally Green. It's the law of actions, but without actions is nothing. Actions is key to success. I appreciate everybody. God bless. See you around
5: again.